0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, but once again, I am not alone. Because, as per usual, I am joined by my good friend, my partner in crime. I would call him Megatron if I was Starscream, but I'm not even on that grade of a level, to be quite frank. It is the one and only Mr. Andy Hand. <sighs> <laughs>
1: This, this this is what this, this is what happens when you big up the intro too much, you see. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Andy Hanley, how's it going, good sir? <laughs> it's, it's doing is is going very well. I I'd like to say I'm here with my master plan, but after that intro, I, I'm not, I think any master plans may be out of the window for this one,
0: <laughs> folks. It is post-Roboto Christmas here on the podcast. Now, Andy, I guess j- just to begin proceedings before we get on to what we're talking about today, did Roboto Christmas, Sand bring you anything nice? Uh, yes, yeah, in, in, in spite
1: of delivery issues um, and that whole thing being fun I I have I have received gifts Um, it's despite the best intentions of like oh everything really needs to come early this year some stuff still dropping in pretty hot because
0: (laughs) delivery drivers are, are hard to come by. Yeah. Little little peek behind the curtain, everybody. We're recording this on like the sixteenth of December, so we're kind of trying to to play the post-Christmas thing, but we realistically don't know what's going on at this point. What I will tell you, and I'm gonna predict quite well, Andy, I ate a lot of food Christmas Day.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean I mean, despite this being the 16th of December. Full confession, I ate a bunch of Christmas chocolates before this podcast, just because I felt like it. So I'm already I'm already in the eating too much Christmas spirit, as
0: it turns out. So are you someone... This just, I'm derailing this from the get-go. Why not? Let's do it. So are you someone who's like a, a liqueur person when it comes to chocolates at Christmas, or are you kind of just traditional chocolate?
1: No, no, I keep it keep it traditional. Yeah, liqueurs have never really done it for for me. Like any, anything with nuts in, like I'm not not allergic to it, just don't particularly
0: care for them. Um, but no, I, <laughs> I keep it
1: keep it simple. Is, is my my rule there?
0: Yeah, I'm not. I like chocolate in things, so maybe like in ice cream, for example. I'm not someone who goes for chocolate specifically, but you know, occasionally if there's some going and I just want a snack, I might have one here and there. But uh, but uh, but no, I'm uh, very much wait. And it's talking to talk the past tense. I really enjoyed all that food Christmas Day. (laughs) This is too difficult. Let's move on. Folks, today we are continuing our trek through season two of The Transformers, as we will be looking at episodes 13 through 16 of this particular season. I will also add, before we go any further, if you want to find us on twitter and instagram you can you can find our profile name at starscreams pod and if you want to drop us an email you can do so using the email address starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com also worth noting we do record this entire show in video form as well so if you are listening to the audio only version you can watch the entire episode that we are recording right now on youtube if you search for starscream's ghost podcast you should be able to find our youtube channel just fine and speaking of youtube all the episodes that we talk about in each and every podcast that we record is being watched via the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. It's it's a completely legal, 100% official channel by Hasbro, and you can watch all of the episodes there, which is what we are doing, and they are following the broadcast order, which dictates the order of episodes that we are watching. So Andy, these episodes that we are watching today, sort of a general summary, thoughts on the four episodes as a whole?
1: Yeah, it's actually a really interesting sort of, Mixed bag of episodes, like, you know, we have a reasonably sort of traditional episode, I guess, plus the return of the Insecticons, which, again, ex- exciting for me. Then there's an episode, to, I, I had to check my notes before we started this podcast, because I was like, what episode was that? I can't actually remember. <laughs> which kind of like, you know, it, 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 it's a bit of a different tilt, um, but, you know, it, it sort of goes off in its own direction. And then we've got a two-parter that is easily like the most serious episode that season two has had and probably one of the most serious in terms of like subject matter that the show has had overall so kind of it's it almost felt like a bit of a blast from the past because if that had been like a season one two-parter you would totally have bought into it because it has that kind of vibe to it
0: yeah i think that's a really good quick teasing summary of those t- last two episodes that we're talking about today. It is definitely the most serious subject matter arguably we have talked about. And let's call it like it is, Andy, in kind of the way the world is today, probably hit home a tad bit more than you'd expect in some cases.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a reminder that some of the things that we maybe have fancy new slogans for these days have been problems that have persisted for quite a long time. Um, and yeah, there's some, some interesting some interesting politics and stuff in that two parter that uh, that we can we can dig into. Indeed.
0: And also I've got a little note about that two parter as well that uh that makes me think there might be a little bit of talk about the Transformers movie today Andy because there was something I noticed that I wondered if you picked up on as well perhaps as a little bit of speculative discussion. But before we get to that everybody, we've got to work our way to that particular episode because we kick things off today with discussion on episode 13. The Insecticon Syndrome. We begin with Bumblebee, Hound, and Trax, along with Spike, being shown some trees that have giant chunks missing from them by a forest ranger named Jeff. I felt the need to note that, Andy, because it's important we know these character names, because sometimes they just outright don't tell us people's names, and it does kind of annoy me occasionally. <laughs> Tracks deducing from the, those missing chunks of the trees, the Insecticons have something to do with this nearby in a cave the insecticons are feeling peckish bombshell saying that's the problem with pines you eat a forest of them and an hour later you're out of energy again on that note they decide to satisfy their hunger once more and head out to feast jeff is then informed by a colleague of his that trees are being attacked but attacked sorry by quote giant figments which I don't know if there was a word missing there, or maybe I misheard that, but that's
1: what I wrote down. I I, I, th- I think what they were going with there is like when he first sees the Insecticons, he's like, "Oh, these must be figments of my imagination," and then he's like, "Oh, right. oh the figments are eating the trees," um, which is <laughs> it's a it's a very weird kind of setup and payoff for that
0: sort of quote unquote gag. But I think that's mm-hmm. what they were trying to do there. Meanwhile, in the sky, Megatron and company are searching for their allies, the Insecticons. I say allies, but after Starscream says he doesn't trust them, Megatron makes it known he doesn't really trust them either, but he's going to make good use of them for his plan and then be done with them. They keep watch of their allies from afar as the Autobots come across the Insecticons and a fight between the two groups ensues. This ultimately leads to the Insecticons pushing a giant tree log down a hill towards them, pushing them towards the edge of a waterfall, and it's smacking them straight off of that edge, into the waters below. So, Andy, this is, I've, I've really summarized, like, this opening section of this episode. I kind of liked how this built, how this set up things. The Insecticons, obviously, big fans of them, particularly yourself, I know. It was cool that they were involved in it. It was also nice to see that they were exploring a little bit more of just the Insecticons' physiology, I guess is the way to put it. Because we had seen in the debut episode with the Insecticons that they could eat other things than just, you know, Energon. And this was another example how they can literally eat anything. And it was very interesting to see that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of the fun things that this show does with those characters. They're, they're kind of like the gourmands of, of, like, Transformers because they'll always chip in with their bit of commentary about how delicious or otherwise something is. Like, if, if, if ever they wanted to make a really dumb, like spin-off episode, you would absolutely have to, like, have an Insecticons cooking episode where they just, like, have some kind of, like, Energon cooking show. Um But, yeah, that that's uh, that's quite fun. And I do sort of like... Th- th- there's a bit of continuity here in terms of, you know, because the last time we saw the Insecticons, they were just kind of working with the Decepticons again. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. I thought they'd had a falling out. Whereas this feels like it actually has a bit of proper continuity of just, like, well they're an absolute pain and they're probably going to try and double cross us. And we're clearly going to try to double cross them because we're Decepticons, but you know, we, we need them for this mission that we're going to, you know, th- our, our latest scheme. So I guess we'd better try and get them on side and, you know, buy them off to, to see if we can get them to, to do our bidding.
0: Yeah. It's interesting when you mentioned the continuity aspect in relation to that, because I want to say it was the traitor episode of memory serves, was the last yeah. time we saw them working together, and that was all set up because of Mirage doing his thing and tricking people. So, like you say, it's good to see there's still that that, that tension, but if the goals align between the two sides, then potentially there is a reason to work with each other. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure.
1: And then and then also for bonus points for the start of this episode, we get a bit of beachcomber, which we've not really had, uh, had any of uh,
0: to this point, or at least I, I don't think in a speaking role. I'm trying to remember, has Beachcomber appeared? At this point, I sort of lose track now who has actually appeared. I know I make I've, a big thing of it, but there was so I've, many in the last couple of episodes, I think. Like, mm. Yeah, I feel like he's been in at least an episode just
1: as like a background character, but I think this is the first time he's had a speaking role that I remember. This this was definitely another one of those like, oh yeah, this Transformer has this voice. I never really thought about it, kind
0: of moments. <laughs> After their work is done, Megatron and his Merry Mechanical Men, as one of the Insecticons calls them, have come to talk business. While this interaction is happening, we come to find out that the Autobots and the humans that fell off the waterfall into the waters below, that was actually a hologram. So they did not take a Mighty Tumble and in fact were hiding on a little rock ledge a little bit further below, but Spike and Bumblebee run run off on their own. Megatron promises the Insecticons a big meal from the Nova Power Plant, but in return, he wants them to carry out a small task for him, as they'll then be powerful enough to do it. This task being to siege the defense computer from, and this might be my favorite name of a location ever so far, Andy, from Iron Mountain. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a, that's a good that's a good name, especially for like some kind of like defense installation. Like, of course, you'd call it Iron Mountain or something. You know, you're you're not gonna call it like
0: Ble-Mange Hill. <laughs> Blumange Hill <laughs> <laughs> wasn't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also worth noting in that conversation that Spike and Bumblebee, the reason they disappeared was to overhear what the Decepticons were going to talk about. So they hear this, report that to Prime, and then the Autobots roll out to join their comrades. At the power plant, the Decepticons and Insecticons arrive with a with a dogfight between the Seeker Jets and Human Jets, as I phrased it, and Megatron, Soundwave, Laserbeak, Buzzsaw taking on the Autobots. The insecticons begin gnawing their way into a specific part of the power plant and start munching on what we later come to find out is the nova power core that literally makes them grow and in the process megatron's plot is going swimmingly the insecticons begin gnawing their way into a specific section of the power plant and munch on what we later come to find out is the Nova Power Core that literally makes them grow and much stronger and such. But in the process, their own plot to Megatron uh, to overthrow Megatron, excuse me, is now underway. Soundwave hears this, but much to his chagrin, one would argue, he has a sensor shell, the the mind control planting device thing from a previous episode, implanted onto him by Bombshell. Wheeljack and Ironhide are the first ones to feel the power of the souped-up Insecticons as I have phrased it after some good teamwork to rescue their fallen comrades though the Autobots are able to retreat. At Autobot HQ, Spike determines that the core the Insecticons were munching on is actually going to make them explode because that's how much power there is running through them and they need to cure them in a hurry. Elsewhere, the Decepticons are now heading towards Iron Mountain but Megatron, unaware that Soundwave is now under Insecticon influence, tells him to terminate their alliance with them once they have received the data they are after. The Insecticons, of course, hear this. Lots of moving parts going on in this section of the episode, Andy, and I really liked it. It, This was one of those episodes where... Because of the amount of moving pieces, it kind of made you have to pay attention to where things were at. And I I do enjoy those kind of episodes that make you do that. Yeah,
1: I mean, it kind of shakes things up from just being Autobots 3 Decepticons. Because with the Insecticons, you've basically got a third party in there that, you know, are kind of a bit of a wild card. Um, and, you know, I've talked on previous episodes about how much I like the whole Cerebro shell thing that Bombshell can do, and this is a really good use of it because it's kind of, you know, a tactical... Like, there's a bit of chess going on here of, like, well, who do we take control of to kind of, you know, keep an eye on Megatron, who's clearly going to kind of try and pull the rug out from under us at some point. And, you know, Soundwave is a, a perfect kind of vehicle for that and sort of... And, and, and really interesting because, you know, Soundwave is... Like Mr. Reliable in this series, like he, I mean, compared to Starscream, you know, as anyone looks like Mr. Reliable, I guess. <laughs> but you know, he's always like he, he 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 doesn't really mess up very much. Like you know, he's he he's he's solid. Like he's he's the guy that you can always rely on. And so to have him be the one that's kind of effectively unwittingly going to betray them is kind of an interesting twist on the end of that as well. Um, so yeah, having all of that going on. It kind of overshadows, you know, the the Autobots trying to kind of save the day and stuff because that's, like, the really interesting plot point. Um, although, I will note, I find it kind of hilarious. Like, that, that dogfight between, like, the Seekers and actual jet pilots... Obviously, the Autobots have to go to these, like, fighter pilots' rescue when they get downed. But there's a point where, like, Inferno... They pull, like, a couple of pilots out of, like, the burning wreckage of one of the jets. And Inferno just, like everybody in foam, which <laughs> one it's... I found hilarious because that's probably going to suffocate the pilots. By the way, like that's probably not really very good for them. And B, didn't we also have an episode like in season one where th- it was very clear that like fire retardant foam is really bad for Transformers and that it's basically uh... going to deactivate them? And yet Inferno is just there spraying it around his pals, <laughs> just being like, "No, oh, I'll put out the fire." <laughs> it's like you know, maybe it's a special different type of foam because you know he's a transformer as well but it just I find that particularly hilarious as like having having had that moment in season one of like oh no the fire retardant foam and now it's just like <laughs> and I just spray everyone with it what could possibly
0: go wrong you could argue that Inferno did or did not get the memo from season one depending on what kind of foam it was yeah yeah <laughs> I mean he probably wasn't
1: around but yeah somebody should probably probably give him the, the heads up on that um, and the, the the other thing that I did note, which was a really weird bit of detail in terms of the animation, is there's a point where kind of you get to see like inside Ironhide's kind of arm because I guess I forget why he had it open, but he has his name written in there, <laughs> and it's like is that is that like his mum put it on his clothes kind of thing of like just in case. <laughs> Or like, is is he just incredibly vain? Like I don't know. Like, do all the Transformers have their own names written somewhere, just in case they forget? <laughs> I mean, like, I maybe this questions. is the, maybe this is a defense mechanism from when Megatron didn't know their names. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. If only if <laughs> any Megatron had known, it's like, oh, there's something on your wrist. I'm like, oh, uh, Ironhide, okay. <laughs> that's that's you. But uh, yeah, that was that was just a weird, like, why did somebody take the time to write that? Especially given that, like, you know, the animators were probably not native English speakers.
0: Somebody clearly felt like, I should just write Ironhide here somewhere, just in case. It's almost like the equivalent of t- talking to, like, some, a staffer who works in the shop that's got a name tag, where you, you start yeah. off looking at them directly in the eyes as you're talking... Saying what you need to, and then you just eventually kind of glance down to their badge, look back up and go, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> so you actually call them by their name or similar. <laughs> hi, hi, my name is Ironhide, how can I help you? <laughs> do you? Do you know what? I bet you someone out there has tried to name their child a Transformer. Oh, yeah, surely.
1: Surely. There, there is there is somebody out there who is still, like, sore over the fact that their,
0: like, name is Optimus Prime. <laughs> and they just... <laughs> you know. Or their name is... Hang on, what's a really random name for a Transformer? Like, someone's name is Scourge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> would, that would definitely be a little bit harsh, but... Or someone's actually called Unicron, you know. <laughs> There's got to yeah, be someone yeah. who's done that. <laughs> you, you never know. At Iron Mountain which basically looks like a giant diamond-like structure just made of steel sticking out from the ground the decepticons are battling quote-unquote the master defense sequence of the structure and they are struggling to fight it but during this time bombshell of the insecticons is starting to get the transformers equivalent of what i've described andy as heartburn (laughs) <laughs> but that doesn't stop the Insecticons burying a bunch of Autobots under rubble while Megatron's crew break in to steal the data that they are after. With Soundwave having now retrieved the data, Megatron makes it clear that the Insecticons are no longer of use. But the trick is on Megatron and Starscream in this instance as well because Bombshell has seemingly planted Cerebro shells on all the other Decepticons without him knowing thus meaning he is in control of them. He tries to also plant one onto Starscream and Megatron, but Megatron blocks that attempt. Starscream fails in that. Megatron, now knowing that the Insecticons are ticking time bombs as well, is ready to blast them to pieces when Prime attacks him to prevent him from destroying the Insecticons, giving the chance for the Insecticons to tell their new slaves, the other Decepticons, to fire on everyone else and get the data from Soundwave. At this point, Ratchet and Wheeljack arrive with the antidote that they have created. Just to focus on that little section there, Andy, because there's a lot, again, of moving parts in that, this is another great example for me of just how lots of, like, different little tricks going on. Like you mentioned, it's something different, and the fact that the Insecticons had the Decepticons number, and they'd already planted all of those Cerebro shells, it was such a fun little twist to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's really kind of nicely done and completely turns the tables. Because it's not even, often when you have these kind of things, it just sort of like levels things up and you have an even fight. But like it completely turns it around so that it's basically like kind of Megatron versus everybody else at this point. And he's kind of on his own um, as somehow the only person that could just like catch the Cerebro shell and just be like, <laughs> nope. Not not having that, um, but yeah, it's it, it it's a nice it's a nice little turn. Um, you know, again, you'd have thought that transformers of every stripe would have learned that maybe like brand new unknown power sources are going to be highly explosive, because you know how many times have we had like Megatron or somebody been like, oh, I'll use this and I'll become super powerful, and then two minutes later it's like, oh no, I'm going to blow up. Um, and, <laughs> when and will we he learn?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, we now have a surreal moment, not the first one we're going to be talking about in this episode either, by the way, as in this podcast rather than this specific episode that we're discussing, because Megatron and Optimus Prime are effectively doing a team-up to stop the Insecticons at this point, as time is nearly running out and the Insecticons are feeling great pain from the amount of energy that they've consumed. At this point, Megatron is damned by one of the Insecticons, but Prime is able to get Megatron to transform into his handgun form and use Megatron to to fire at both Bombshell and Kickback, shrinking them back down to size in the process because he has used the Antijack... Uh, Antijack? That's not the word I was thinking. Antidote provided by Wheeljack and Ratchet. There you go. That said, yeah. Antijack is a great name for a, for an antidote of some kind. Yeah, I'm
1: surprised that isn't some kind of, like, bit of Transformers pseudoscience in itself. But uh, but yeah, I really really love this whole, like, Optimus Prime Megatron team up. Like, that's your kind of, like, kids' school playground. Like, what if Optimus Prime and Megatron were on the same side? And it's just really cool to see, like, Optimus Prime firing Megatron in his gun form. It's just one of those really stupid little, just like, oh, this is really cool. This doesn't usually happen. It's basically like a fan fiction,
0: isn't it? That's what it is at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, it kind of clearly leans into that wouldn't it be cool if you saw this thing and finds a good excuse to do it
0: that that actually makes sense. So, Mm. it's all good. So now that those two Insecticons are back down to size, Shrapnel is not at this point. And with about 10 seconds to go until Shrapnel is going to explode, Prime is downed. And at this point shrapnel harnesses the power of lightning but that is the supercharger needed to pretty much make him go over the edge spike managed to somehow (laughs) climb climb onto him and get the antidote inside of him but that actually causes shrapnel to explode literally into pieces soundwave and the rest of the decepticons are now back to normal but the data that soundwave had acquired the whole crux of this episode has been erased How convenient. Shrapnel is literally in pieces, as I say, but Bombshell restores him using one of his weapons. Personal note from Jeremy, I was actually a little bit disappointed to see that because I wanted to see if that was going to carry over into anything. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) what can you do? The Incepticons then escape, as do all the Decepticons, and everything is back to normal as they fly away for the episode to conclude. The whole sequence with Shrapnel basically going over the edge again a really really cool moment but when he actually actually exploded because i've not watched the bits of season 2 i've seen in so long and i know you've never mentioned it either so there was part of me thinking does a transformer actually die during the series like there was just part of me thinking do you want are we down to two insecticons like i was really confused for a minute and then they obviously just fixed it straight away and i was a bit disappointed
1: yeah, yeah, it's sort of weird how because uh, it's kind of horrifying, you know. Everyone's just like looking at his just kind of blown to pieces body, and I mean, you, you know, again, I I remember is in transformers the movie, so I was like, well, this isn't gonna last, <laughs> um, and so yeah, like, and it, I I guess at, at least again, it sort of makes sense, you know. We've seen sort of bombshell's ability to you know control things and. You know, basically create clones out of stuff. I mean, it does. It does beg the question: like, is is the shrapnel that he brings back to life is that the same shrapnel, or is that just a clone of a shrapnel, or like, you know, what what what's the deal there? Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's a pretty pretty good ending. I mean, it it has that typical Transformers episode ending where it kind of feels like it suddenly has to figure out how to to close things off um, and has to sort of burn through a whole bunch of stuff quickly, but. Yeah, it, it, all, it all makes sense in, in Transformers terms anyway. Um, it, it all adds up. And uh, I, I, d- I do want to know why Soundwave didn't back up his uh, all of his data to cassette because he's got a few of them kicking around. Um, but, you know, so m- maybe not Soundwa- Soundwave's, like, best day in this particular episode.
0: <laughs> this actually poses an interesting question before we give our thoughts on the episode as a whole. I know that Rumble was... In w- was not inside Soundwave when Soundwave was possessed, but what happens to the other cassettes inside when Soundwave's already got a Cerebro shell? Like, are they Cerebro shelled by proxy, or are they just? Did they just follow Soundwave?
1: Yeah, I mean, I assume I. I don't think there's any like you know, it's just storage. I don't think there's any mental link. Like, it's just where they get. I. I just assume it's just where they go to sleep that they have just you know basically. Um. So I'm guessing that they wouldn't be. But, yeah, that that was a question that, like, popped up in my mind as well, of, like, how how does that work? But mm. uh, sadly, sadly, we don't get the answers here. But we do get... I can't remember whether it's Megatron or somebody else calling the Insecticons Insecticlowns, uh, which was, <laughs> was quite good. So, uh, also, also Megatron at some point saying, nobody gets into my cerebral chamber, and it's like, mate, like, literally a couple of episodes ago... Three Autobots were inside your brain, so <laughs> you have a very short memory. Oh, but don't forget, though, he was drunk on Energon. He was. He was drunk at the time, so I guess there's that. But you'd have thought he might have remembered the bit where they came out
0: of his like, shoulder and like trampled all over him. But Maybe he just thought it was a bad dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair. <laughs> so this episode as a whole... I enjoyed it. This was good fun. It had some really different, interestingly different dynamics for a Transformers episode. So this gets a thumbs up from me. Just definitely, if you wanted to watch an episode at random, but you perhaps wanted to be a little bit selective, this is definitely one I might pick out at random.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a good, uh, again, you know, being the Insecticon cheerleader here. Like, you know, they're they are good characters, both in their own terms as characters, but also, like, their ability sets are very interesting, and there are plenty of things you can do with them, and this episode uses that pretty well. Like, you know, obviously Bombshell being sort of MVP here, just, like, literally taking control of everyone. Um, but, you know, the, the, well, I guess Kickback doesn't do a whole lot in this episode, but, you know, shrapnel stuff with lightning and what have you, there, there, there's some interesting stuff there. I have no idea why they wrote in the whole plot point about the Insecticons growing when they had that that power source, because it kind of didn't really do anything with that. I thought that was going to turn into a thing where they just, like, keep growing until they explode or something. But they just get a bit bigger, and then then they don't again and that sort of seemed like it was a little redundant like because I thought we were maybe going for like oh we're just gonna have like you know giant insects are gonna invade New York or something you know just massive insecticons that are gonna freak everybody out and then they'll do a whole King Kong thing with them but that maybe they were angling to do something with that and then realized they didn't have time and just sort of backed away from it because it just seemed like such a specific thing of like oh they're growing they're getting bigger and then that was kind of
0: it and they would they didn't really get that much bigger. so. Yeah, this is definitely an episode that you could easily imagine ways for them to, to actually extend it into a two-parter very well. Mm. So with that being said, everybody, let's move on to our next episode for the day. This being episode 14, Day of the Machines. Is it the Terminator crossover I was hoping for? Let's find out. We begin with who we have affectionately termed as Narrator Guy, saying the following. Midnight, quantum laboratories, the well-guarded home of America's most secret scientific inventions. While the narrator is speaking, we pan over the facility where there's a lot of automated defences. Yet inside a particular office, we see through a window, are a number of objects just left on the table. There's a parcel, a guitar case, and... Something that looks quite familiar. A purple and grey coloured cassette deck. Hmm. Suddenly, a guard walks in and takes said objects to the lost and found department. Because that's where you leave things that have been left in someone's office, apparently. This is when Soundwave transforms and Laserbeak appears, is then handed a key, and Soundwave tells him to release Megatron. Laserbeak then heads over to the guitar case... Where Megatron is inside, in his handgun form, in the guitar case, like he's a freaking Tommy gun in a gangster film from the 60s or something. I laughed so hard at this, Andy. I legit had to pause for a few minutes because of how absurdly great this was. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. And this, this further leans
1: into my theory that, like, Megatron is spending all of his damn time just watching TV. Like, we <laughs> had him talking about travel logs the other the other week. And now he's he's there just, like, clearly, like, pulling out ideas out of gangster films. So, like, I, I, I'm saying that, like, he's he's spent a lot of time, like, you know, sending Laserbeak to Blockbuster or something to be like, hey, can you get, get give me some videotapes? I want to watch some movies.
0: Do you know what? You've just got me thinking. There must have been some, like, Transformers crossover with, like, a video rental company at that point.
1: I wonder. I don't. I don't know if there was really. It's. I, I, I certainly don't recall seeing anything like that. But uh,
0: but yeah, they, mm. they they missed a trick, if not. <laughs> After making a racket, getting out of the lost and found department, Megatron and Soundwave sneak about the place before blowing a hole in the top of another building, where they have found their goal, the most powerful computer on the planet, Talk Three. Andy. I appreciate names sometimes can be difficult, but Talk Three.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It sounds it sounds pretty cool, and it is talks about T O R Q, which sort yeah. of feels like super sciencey and smart. <laughs> and uh, you know, the fact that it's the third one, like you know, you, you know that it's uh, you, you know that it's important somehow.
0: The other also, do you think there's a little bit of wordplay here when it comes to there being Autobots in the show and using the word Talk when there's cars all about the show?
1: Yeah, I fully suspect that they maybe did something like that as well. So uh, yeah, I,
0: I I I would not be at all surprised if there's a little bit of wordplay going on. They attempt to reprogram Talk Three, but and Megatron is able to override it and gain control. Now, remember that parcel that I mentioned? It has a device in it that looks like a small computer chip, as it were, allowing Talk to control any other robot that's also got one on it. They then get Talk to use one of the other machines, which now has one of the chips on it, to basically implant one in every single other machine around the base. Thus meaning they now control all the machines on the base. We then cut to an office uh, elsewhere on the base. It's the office of Dr. Paul Gates, and some other person who's not actually named, who is explaining to a, the colleague I just mentioned that maybe Talk is a bit too intelligent for man to control. Worried about possibly enemies gaining control of it. Oh, how how right you are. We also find out in this conversation that talk can construct a wide variety of other machines, including I feel the need to point out, Andy, robot doors and filing cabinets.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was the the, the, the filing cabinets thing in particular was sort of a, a weird flex from the other guy because at <laughs> that point the filing cabinet also just like almost launches itself and almost brains the Bill Gates or whatever his name uh, was. Paul Gates, you were uh, close. Paul <laughs> Gates, oh yeah, his, his, his lesser-known brother, um, <laughs> who was doing really well until the Decepticons took over all of his machines. Um, but yeah, this was, this was a very quick shift around from kind of foreshadowing to actual thing happening of like, oh, maybe it's dangerous making these intelligent machines. Like, no, it'll be fine. Wait, why are we locked
0: in by the automated door system <laughs> like, within about 30 <laughs> seconds? As you just mentioned, suddenly the robot-controlled door is locked, and Torque makes it known it is in control. Paul, uh, Paul Gates I should say, sorry, full name, uh, then sets to work on rebuilding the Visiphone for long-distance transmission. Which, just for, 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 for descriptor context, it was basically a PC that they made into a phone yeah
1: yeah it's it's pretty much like what if if, if you'd like time traveled from the present day to the past and said th- th- and shown them like a zoom call then this this is kind of what they would have like made using what they knew about i
0: guess <laughs> we then cut to megatron rumble and frenzy andy frenzy makes an appearance yeah. who are firing control ships at a whole bunch of oil tankers hmm We then go to Autobot HQ. Teletran detects an unexplained change in oil tanker shipping patterns. If on your uh, Transformers bingo card you had a new ability for Teletran, you can add that to the list. (laughs) He detects this and Prime determines that the convergence point where all the tankers are heading is the Decepticon underwater base location. Dr. Gates is able to contact Prime to alert him of the danger with talk. Skyfire, Hound, and Spike are tasked with going to investigate the oil tanker situation, while Prime leads a crew of his own to Quantum Laboratory. Prime's crew is met with conflict, as I've described it, Andy, on arrival, which they soon realise are all vehicles that aren't manned. Outmatched and outgunned in many ways, Prime sends an SOS signal to the Dinobots. Still fending off countless machines, the Dinobots arrive, Grimlock saying... Always get Autobots out of messes they get into.
1: (laughs) He's not wrong, though,
0: is he? (laughs) I know, Fact. (laughs) And they begin smashing stuff. The military vehicles attack and are having little to no effect on them. Another great showcase for the Dinobots, Andy.
1: Yeah, it is indeed. And I, I really... The fun thing about this whole kind of scene and this whole sequence is... Normally, whenever the Autobots are fighting anybody that's not the Decepticons, they kind of have to pull their punches because they don't want to injure anybody or, you know, hurt the humans. This is really fun to watch because, like, as soon as, like, Ironhide rips off, like, the first turret of a tank and be like, oh, there's nobody inside. It's just like, okay, it's on. Like, we just get to, like, go full ball, full power and just, you know, lay waste to things. Gloves off. Yeah, it's really fun to watch that of just, you know, no kind of trying to be careful and, you know, like Optimus Prime choosing like the laser pointer mode in his gun to like shoot specific things. It's just like, no, let's just blast everything and blow it to smithereens. Because even when we've had things like the, uh, um, oh, the, I I forget her name now, but like, you know, the the lady robot that the humans built, um, Nightbird. Um, oh sorry yeah (laughs) i was trying to think hang on (laughs) yeah like even with that episode it was like you know the 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 operation was like well try not to damage her like you know you you've got to fight her like with one hand tied behind your back whereas this there was never any question of like oh maybe we should not do too much damage because you know the military might want their robots back it's just like no we're just going for it um and you know we we've it's us or them, and we've just got to go for it. And that—that was—I really enjoyed all of that scene, just because you don't normally get to see that kind of just, and especially you know with the Dinobots involved as well, just adds an extra sheen to it of just like
0: absolute carnage, basically. Prime's crew find Doctor Gates, and they begin discussing the situation and how they can resolve this. Prime deduces that the Decepticons did this. Good job, Prime. Good thinking. <laughs> And Torque is controlling the oil tankers too. This theory quickly being backed up by the control chips being discovered on one of the vehicles. Much to the Doctor's surprise. Worth noting, Prime keeps that one of the, the, as we come to learn later, they are called remote controlled circuit linkers. (laughs) Because, can't just be one word, Andy. (laughs) Remote controlled circuit linkers. He has that for safekeeping. Keep that in mind, everyone. They go to the location of Torque and are met with yet more conflict. And then Prime blows the door away to be able to get inside. Elsewhere, we join Skyfire's crew who come across a force field dome where the tankers are converging. Hound has the idea of hitching a ride on one of the tankers and hiding inside to gain entry, which they do successfully. Good job, Hound. Genuinely. Good plan. Smart thinking. Now, they get inside and they surprise Megatron with an attack, which Hound has the great line to start his attack of not so fast mega meatball.
1: Yeah, that was that was a weird kind of thing <laughs> cuz you know, normally it's something that that rhymes with Tron or at least has some kind of Bearing, you know, it's some kind of insult. But like meatball, that's that's a stretch. I feel like somebody in the writers' room probably just had meatballs for lunch and was just like, I don't know, that will be that's an insult today. <laughs> or someone just had a meatball sandwich or something. You can imagine. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody, I don't know, I don't know. If some subway was around then, but somebody probably had a subway. I saw. Probably just went to a deli around the corner. I don't know.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spike is captured by Laserbeak, resulting in Skyfire and Hound having to surrender. Then they are locked up in. What I've called a brig, but it's not really a brig, it's just a lower level of a tanker. But it seems that Spike has a plan. When does he not? Back with Prime's crew, they continue to be outmuscled and outnumbered, resulting in a number of them nearly being captured and or just simply killed off. But they're able to use their respective own abilities to assist in defeating the machines in front of them. They managed to gain access properly inside the door that Prime had blown up a little bit earlier, and the setup is like a maze. But Prime decides that everyone else should stay outside because it would be better if only one of them goes in there to try and avoid detection. Now Andy, Optimus Prime is really, really big. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they had Bumblebee with them.
1: Yeah, this is a lot like the time they sent Skyfire to sneak around and do surveillance (laughs) on the Decepticons, and he spent the entire time complaining, like, I'm a massive jet man, like, how am I supposed to hide here? Um, But yeah, this was... uh, I mean, hey, Optimus Prime taking the lead, like, uh, I'll, I'll give him that at least, but yeah, maybe not the best use of personality if you're trying to be sneaky sneaky. He could have sent Roller. Well, yeah, I mean, also, yeah, he has his own, like, surveillance... Thing that he could have sent out in in his stead, but no, I guess I know. I mean, I, I made a note like later in the episode here. Optimus Prime is pretty sassy in this episode. Like he's got, he he's, he seems like he's actually having a good time. So maybe he was just like, nah, I'm I'm in for this. Like
0: I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do all the fun stuff this this week. Prime is making his way through the maze, battling robots and obstacles along the way, while having to put up with Torx banter during all of this as well. A Circuit Linker is implanted on Prime and Torque now realises he has control of Optimus Prime and very soon will possess all of the Autobots too. But Prime has Torque's number. Yeah, theres I didn't skip anything by the way everyone, it literally jumps from that point to the next point. This is how quickly this is resolved. Prime has Torque's number as he was able to use one of the dead circuit linkers, remember that one he had earlier for safekeeping? He put that, apparently, into the hands of the machine that planted him with a chip. It's a bit of a stretch, Andy, but I'll let it go. Yeah, I mean, the the thing I've learnt here
1: is, like, never play Optimus Prime at poker. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) He'll he'll do he'll do some card switching stuff and he'll just take all the money. Um, but I, it, it's it's a fun switch. It is really weird how quickly he kind of pulls that one eighty. Because I sort of assumed when this happened was that you know Optimus Prime would kind of like play with the idea of, of what, like oh yeah you know you control me I'm gonna go do whatever you tell me to and then be like ha later on. But no, it's just like straight away is like you know like talk is just like I I have control
0: of you and Optimus Prime is just like no you don't and it's like, oh, wow and then for good measure Prime then literally just smashes the talk computer, and all the machines cease operating, and that everyone, is not the end of the episode, as you might think, because that's what I thought at first, it's like, oh okay, that was a quick episode that flew by, that was good, but we continue, back at the tankers, in fact, no sorry, before that Prime's crew is then loaded onto a boat, which apparently is one of the fastest in the world, they head to the tanker location At the tanker location, Soundwave alerts Megatron that talk is done, which is then when Megatron produces a backup control device, which I have described, Andy, as looking like an oversized cool box.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's not the most... I mean, hey, it's a backup device. I guess they knocked it together quickly. They were probably not too worried about whether it would look like, you know, the new iPhone or something. So (laughs) I I guess I'll let them get away with it being a
0: little bit clunky. I don't know why, I've just now got an image of what's a Decepticon picnic like. What's in that box? (laughs) Just Energon, I'm guessing. Lots of it. I
1: mean, yeah, it's just going to be another drunken day out for the Decepticons, I imagine.
0: (laughs) In the brig, Spike grabs an electromagnet, which, of course, doesn't affect him like it would a robot, such as Autobots. And he then magnetises Rumble and Ravage, who are guarding outside the room to the wall... They break out, with them still stuck to the wall, which was a very funny moment indeed. Prime's crew then arrive, but are unable to get through the dome. Inside, Frenzy is on guard at the control for this energy dome, which is when he is then ambushed by Hound, Skyfire, and Spike, and they're able to distract him long enough to destroy the control panel. This was done via the use of a hologram to confuse Frenzy that there was another Autobot nearby. With Prime's crew now inside the perimeter, a firefight breaks out with Prime and Megatron fighting over the call box. Sorry, the transmitter. Which Prime destroys by throwing it at Megatron while he is diving towards him and a Megatron just crushes it under his own weight. Yeah, see, this is what I mean about Optimus Prime being really sassy
1: in this episode, because he's just like, I mean, there's that like, part earlier on where he's just like, hey, check out my delicate lock picking skills, and just blows the door open. <laughs> then he, like, plays the whole thing with uh, with talk, and then this is kind of the ultimate thing of just like, catch! And it's just like, you know, just as Megatron's falling on the thing, and it's just like, Optimus Prime just just having a really fun day. He's just really enjoying <laughs> this whole thing.
0: He's enjoying the day of the machines, Andy. <laughs> he, he
1: is. He really is.
0: What did you think? I'll, I'll give you a chance to talk about it. You've had a chance here. What, what did you think about the whole uh, breaking out of the prison sequence?
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's good. Like, it's one of the other things I like about this episode, actually, is the whole, like, split priority thing, where there's two important things going on at the same time, and you kind of end up with, with, you know, basically two kind of story beats running in parallel, and you've got kind of Team A, you know, dealing with the the robots and talk, and then the, the B team, like, dealing with the, the tanker thing, um... I mean, I feel like we we need another kind of counter that resets now for like times that Spike gets kidnapped by Laserbeak. Cause, I mean, <laughs> that feels like we've seen that a good half dozen times of just like put me down, and it's like no, please just stop getting carried away by the bird. Um, I, I
0: add that to the bingo card now, bear with me
1: Yeah, that definitely <laughs> needs to go on the bingo card um, and yeah, the, the whole electromagnet thing is, is good, like this is one episode where I really wish they'd have like a post-credit scene where it would just be like, you know, the battle is over, everyone else has retreated and it's just like Rumble and Ravage being like hey, can, we're still stuck can, you, can somebody come and turn <laughs> off the magnet please because, um, <laughs> you know, who knows how long they were stuck there before someone's like We've not seen Rumble in like a week and he's sort of just like stuck
0: somewhere in Decepticon HQ, just like glued to a wall by a magnet. Well it's funny you mention that, Andy, because now the tankers begin leaving because the energy dome has been has been shut off, basically destroyed. And I don't think I properly described it, but where the tankers have converged, it's like a big platform that's been conver- that's been created, sorry, on top of the ocean. Just on top of the ocean, just sitting there and whatnot with Decepticon base underneath. That's kind of how the structure of this works. Megatron then decides, because his plan has failed, he's just going to set off the self-destruct command for the entire platform. Sure, Megatron, just your base is underneath, but sure, I won't argue it. And they make a swift retreat to Decepticon HQ. The deck begins blowing up, and all the Autobots jump onto the boat, but Skyfire, Hound, and Spike are still not there. Prime tells everyone to go on ahead because he wants to go and find his comrades. And he does so just by ripping up a chance bit of metal underneath him and finds them. And then Skyfire transforms, at which point he has the great line before Prime unearths him of saying, we're in deep transistor parts, which I liked. And then they transform and leave. Back at the Quantum Laboratories, the Doctor makes it known he will not be reactivating talk and manages to dig a hole for himself, making a comment about about basically how all machines can't be trusted, which obviously, what are the Autobots, everyone? Machines. Gets a little bit awkward, but things are settled and the episode ends. Andy, first of all, thoughts on the end of the episode and then the episode as a whole.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty, you know pretty typical ending of just like, you know, re- retreat, self-destruct, don't ask why you're blowing something up that's literally right above your base. And, and also, where are you retreating to? Like, you're, it's literally like five yards away. Um, it's, you know, this is maybe not the place that you should have built this thing, and you should have kept it a bit more remote. But I mean, I guess, given we, we've seen how quickly Decepticons can build bases, so like, it's probably no big deal if it all gets blown up because you know like 12 hours later they'll have built a new one so maybe that was their thinking um but yeah this is a pretty good episode like you know it's it has some fun moments of, you know, just kind of, like I said, letting the Autobots just let loose and, you know, really wreak, wreak havoc and do some damage, uh, which joyously included, like, Ironhide just sticking his finger in a robot's nozzle until, like, <laughs> until whatever it was, it was kind of firing just, like, backfired on it. Um, like, that was particularly enjoyable to a- see. A lot of sass uh- in this episode. And, yeah, yeah, like, again, yeah, it's some, some really good sort of, cuz you get so much of just like sort of noble leader Optimus Prime it's sort of you know it feels like he's he's you know having to to rein it in it's kind of nice to see him just 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 having having a good time and, and getting to to throw a few a few one liners out there himself um, but no, I, I like some of the action stuff. Again, like I say, I I like it when they have like a split priorities thing, and you have like a couple of teams doing different things. It it, it keeps things a bit more interesting than having you know one follow one from the other. Um, so yeah, this was this is was, was was pretty good. I, again, it's sort of a, a a good sort of classic Transformers plot line of you know uh, the humans have made
0: some machines of their own, but blah blah blah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one yeah another thumbs up episode from me i would say kind of much akin to the previous episode i will say though i do wish talk had more involvement because the way that it had been built up from the start of the episode and then ultimately it it's done about what half to two halfway to two thirds through and it's just very much an afterthought after that and there was never any indication that megatron still had a control panel himself which was then destroyed very quickly. It kind of feels like the main crux of the episode was just a bit of a damp squib, ultimately. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it it did turn out that talk was basically... he he was all talk. (laughs) Um... (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, you might have just peaked, Andy, with your jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's straight, straight, straight from the Christmas crackers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it's weird because it does feel like he's set up to be like the real villain of the entire episode. And again, there's there's almost that feeling of like you know, is he gonna, is he such a smart like supercomputer that he's gonna like one up Megatron at the end? And you know, is there gonna be a big whole thing with that? And it's just like, no, nah, he's really he's just a computer and he's not like you know he's not really all that super um, and you know he gets kind of like done over pretty easily by Optimus Prime and then it's just like nah, he's he's run his race he's done um, so yeah given how that gets bigged up early in the episode it is a bit of a strange you know a strange pivot, because he's almost kind of irrelevant to proceedings, because like, you know Megatron could have put those chips on those robots and just controlled them with his, his cool bag, so you know, I'm not sure why,
0: why why talk was even particularly required, really There you go From there, everybody, we now move on to a two-parter-based story as we begin Episode 15 Megatron's Master Plan Part 1 we begin with the newly elected mayor of central city holding an opening ceremony for a solar energy facility literally what it's called everyone no specific fancy name just solar energy facility which was donated by his campaign opponent known as mr sean burger who conveniently at this exact same point in time is watching the television coverage of this opening ceremony when the decepticons do a surprise attack in the form of Starscream and three new, at this time, unnamed Seeker Jets inbound with him. And why are they there, Andy? Why could they be there? If it's a solar energy facility, why could the Decepticons be there? I'll give you one guess yeah
1: I mean it's it it is truly a surprise attack because this has never happened before in the history of this cartoon um so it's very difficult really to discern why they would be attacking the solar power plant that creates a lot of power and energy that the
0: Decepticons always want
1: maybe they just want to get drunk
0: that's my guess there you go it's all for themselves because they want energy on everybody you guessed it you can add a check mark to your scorecard if you guessed that correctly Now, for reference, Andy, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I did a little bit of research after the fact just to make sure I got their names. The three unnamed Jets were Dirge, which Mm. is the purple with green wing combo. Who? At this point in time. Thrust, which is the red Mm. and grey combo colouring. Who? At this point in time. And not named in the episode, I believe, but I think we may have had him already in one previous episode, that being Ramjet, which, Mm. if I've got it correct, is the white and grey combo coloured one. Yep, yep, I believe
1: that that is... That is they. Because, yeah, they, the, the, at least one of them randomly turns up in an episode, but, yeah, at least a couple of them actually get name-checked here. Um, to serve as a reminder that I, I always wanted one of the, the like, the second-generation Seeker Jets, but never managed to find any, so I'm sad. I, I never had the toys of any of those guys. Hmm.
0: Now, I mentioned Sean Berger, like, the campaign opponent. He seems to have had a hand in this because... He kind of explains to himself, ah, the Decepticons have taken the bait. And makes a call for tank crews to prepare for combat. Bit extreme, but sure. The energon cubes aren't filling, though, because there is no energy there. Starscream quickly realises it's a trap, to steal a phrase from another franchise. The tanks then appear from inside the structure and begin attacking, the newly elected mayor very unhappy about Berger clearly taking the law into his own hands. To add a little bit of context here, which isn't expressly mentioned until later, Sean Berger has his own private military because he's that rich, so that's why he is able to launch the attack, but this is not randomly actually mentioned until much later. A distress call to the Autobots is made and they arrive swiftly with them battling off the Decepticons, including a fun moment where Smokescreen, I believe Andy, debuts this, but correct me if I'm wrong. He debuts a flying car variation of his transformation sequence and blinds dirge in midair.
1: Yeah, I guess. Was that Smokescreen or was that Trax? Because I know Trax has had like a flying car mode at some point and I'm
0: I, m- I might,
1: maybe I got that wrong then, because I thought it was smokescreen for some reason. But it, it, it may have been. If, if so, that is definitely the first time we've seen it. But I feel like Trax has had his flying car thing, which mm. again, yeah, this, this is this is a thing of like, oh, okay, I guess. I mean, they can fly as robots and they can drive as
0: cars. Why not do both together? <laughs> Someone clearly went. You know what would be a really cool toy, not just the car, flying car
1: yeah yeah I'm, try- I'm trying to remember whether any of the actual toys like had that sort of ability or that transformation like i feel like that might actually been cartoon specific like cue lots of disgruntled and annoyed kids of just like why <laughs> doesn't mine do that
0: Mum, why doesn't my car have wings <laughs> as a thank you the mayor says he wants to honor the autobots at city hall now andy interesting slight tangent for you today sean berger's voice actor i recognized this voice i recognized it a lot and admittedly i've recognized it so much i've totally forgotten the actual voice actor's name now which is really bad of me at the time of recording but it is actually the same person who did the voice of general hawk in gi joe oh, okay because okay. i watched a lot of action force and gi joe back in a day like i've talked about in previous podcasts but the thing that kind of got me to add some more context for why it was quite difficult for me to get into Sean Berger as a character is general Hawk is one of the good guys and his voice is very distinct. So I'm constantly hearing a GI Joe character be evil, but then I look at the character and it's nothing alike. Yeah. But ironically yeah. he has a military force. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that
1: that's often the trouble with a lot of these things even, even with like actual actors sometimes you know when an, an actor you you know them from one particular role where they're you know a goodie or a baddie or whatever and then you see them in something else and you just have that like i just can't connect the dots here because i'm so used to seeing them in this kind of specific role and now they're playing the exact opposite and it's
0: kind of breaking my brain I, i've definitely had those moments before I believe the voice actor's name was Ed Gilbert, if I've just done a quick Google to make sure I've got that information handy. In his office, Sean Berger is not happy with what has, what has transpired, when he notices an odd tape on his desk. It turns out to be Laserbeak, who transforms and kidnapped him, carrying him to a cliffside nearby, where Megatron is there and introduces himself and says that he wants to help Mr. Berger. Megatron tells him that Berger has been brainwashed by Autobot propaganda, not seeing that they are the evil ones, not the Decepticons, even saying that he will show him proof that this is true if he is willing to help them. Berger says that he will need to show the proof first in order for him to consider this. With the plan in motion... Uh, sorry, at this point, uh, Dirge is now taking Sean Berger back to his office. And with the plan in motion, the quote-unquote, as Megatron calls him pompous gullible fool has taken the bait and now megatron has made it clear in a monologue of his own that burger is simply a pawn in his plan and nothing more interesting we then cut to a refinery where prime and three other autobots are quote-unquote draining the place dry into energon cubes now conveniently sean burger is in a helicopter with quite a few camera people as well, how convenient, and sees the whole thing unfold. The Autobots going so far as to attack the helicopter, and in quite a surreal moment like I'm watching something from a parallel universe, Megatron and the Seeker Jets arrive to save the humans, as Megatron says, and we then just get this this really weird dichotomy unfolding before our eyes, where the Decepticons are being the heroes defeating the autobots megatron saying you won't tarnish our reputation again prime today earth learns the truth such a weird moment andy but it was a really cool moment yeah yeah it's it's
1: uh, it's 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 a particularly interesting one because like clearly as the audience you know exactly what's going on from like day 1 here like you know this isn't a this isn't like sort of the the episode we had the last podcast where you know it is like oh we're we're gonna actually make the autobots do evil things like this is this is a stitch up you know this is fake news um and uh, you know they're 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 doing that whole thing um and yeah like it's sort of it's interesting the way it kind of like you know dovetails into the whole sort of like political side of this of you know this guy who clearly like lost an election but you know still wants power where have we heard Um, that before not trying to get political where have we heard that before (laughs) yeah exactly and it's like you know it's it's kind of like fascinating and sort of watching all of that play out it's also kind of hilarious because you know burger is there just like oh you know i want to i wanted to you know beat the decepticons because they're evil but then once like the the decepticons are like well we're the good guys it's like okay cool i'll help you but can I, like, take control of, like, a city or two, basically? And it's like, well, if the Decepticons were actually the good guys at that point, they'd be like, uh,
0: no, that's not how this works. Um, but, uh, but, you know, hey-ho. So, with this being done, Burger is convinced that the Decepticons are good guys and the helicopter leaves, but not before Wheeljack, in inverted commas, because it's whatever is down below, uh, is able to knock off one of the cameras and Megatron's saying that they will need to return this to Mr. Berger. We then cut to a parade for the Autobots as they arrive at City Hall, somehow get inside, but we never see how, so we won't cross that question anymore. But Berger is in the TV control room covering this event. Now, we come to find out he owns the TV network, so this is why what is about to happen can transpire so easily. He has a tape in his hand, and he demands the person operating the machine to play the tape, and it does. And then we hear Megatron's voice over the top of it. And we see some stuff play out as to what we just saw. The Autobots draining a bunch of oil to create Energon. Then a second tape plays. And it shows Prime and Wheeljack using a device to convert the Seeker Jets to evil. And we see a couple of Seeker Jets flying by and having a voiceover kind of going, "Ah, oh, I feel like I feel really evil now. We should do something.
1: Yeah, not, not not quite an Oscar-winning performance from the Seeker Jets, but, you
0: know, it's it, it proves to be effective, so I guess it's fine. Also, I want to say now, I'm pretty sure one of those Seeker Jets was Starscream. I'm mentioning that now, because that will come into play later, something I have to say. The final piece of evidence is a conversation showing Prime saying that they will claim the Earth for their own. The Autobots are insulted by this, but while the mayor himself isn't convinced by all this. He says he has to be cautious and tells the Autobots not to leave the area. The Autobots return to their base and now the general public is firmly against them. Even someone going so far, Andy, is to throw a tomato on the shoulder of Optimus Prime. How dare they? Shocking, shocking behaviour. And even Spike, Sparkplug and Chip are being ragged for being Autobot lovers this episode in fact you know what pause there for a second andy let's just let's talk about this entire sequence of events this i know the episode is called megatron's master plan and so far i've got to say i love how the story is unfolding in this i know we've obviously got two episodes which means it can really elongate that as well but the way it plays out the pacing of it so far really really good stuff Yeah, and
1: as master plans go, it seems to be working out pretty well. Um, so definitely, definitely one of Megatron's better plans as as things turn out currently. Um, yeah, and this is ironically one of those things where your sort of default response is to to want to sit there and be like oh people wouldn't be that stupid they wouldn't like get their entire like notion of who's good and who's bad turned around by one dumb video clip that you know somebody put on a tv screen but we live in 2021 so it's like no this is all perfectly plausible this would probably happen um so it definitely <laughs> it definitely makes sense in a weird kind of way but yeah it's sort of again it's It's always fun when you have something that's different from the usual, you know, especially for an episode that feels like it's starting out as like, oh, Decepticons, you know, are going to assault some kind of power complex. We know how this goes. And, you know, that turns out to be kind of a, a fake, a fake out. And then everything that follows on from that, you know, it kind of goes a long way from your usual, you know, just trying to find, you know, this week's energy source and becomes a far more... A far more fundamental attack on the Autobots and kind of you know their role in Earth life as a whole which is kind of you know which is why this this kind of really escalates into something really serious because it's not just uh whoever wins or loses it's just kind of you know one skirmish like this is a kind of like potentially seismic shift in terms of how everything goes on
0: the planet Yeah, definitely. And that's why I I love the stakes that are raised in this story, especially as they keep gradually escalating a bit more and it just works out really, really well. Speaking of which, at Autobot HQ, feelings are mixed, to say the least, on what has transpired. But the external security sensors go off and it's Burger with a bunch of tanks and he's ordering the Autobots to surrender. The Autobots want to engage in a fight, but Prime will not let them silly prime turns out that the mayor is also part of this entourage and says that the autobots are now under arrest prime says that they will offer no resistance and will conform to their request of surrender the mayor says that he believes them but their innocence must be must be proven by the due process of the law we then cut to a news crew doing some vox pops around the city, asking some people their opinion of the situation. Where we then go to a stadium, Andy, because apparently this trial had to take place in a football stadium. Sure, why not? And the Decepticons arrive at the trial a little bit late, but they get there. Burger gives some testimony, but Spike, who is one of the humans in the audience, he senses that something is off, and he then leaves. But Andy... This being Spike, he doesn't just, you know, walk out to the aisle and walk away. He decides to jump onto the football pitch, run across it, and really make it known that he's running away somewhere. Which then prompts Megatron and Soundwave to send out Ravage to go after him. And as he's and because we know that Spike has got superhuman powers, he outruns Ravage, gets through one of those spinning doors, and then Ravage gets stuck in a spinning door. (laughs)
1: <laughs> just, yeah yeah I mean that's I, I mean to be fair we, we've we seen Spike outrun like Bumblebee in car mode so he can absolutely outrun Ravage as well so at least that's you know it's consistent it's canon now <laughs> so that is how fast Spike is Um but yeah Ravage getting stuck in a revolving door again you kind of want like a post credit scene for this episode where he's still in there like you know <laughs> three hours later <laughs> just like I can't figure this out help <laughs> Or he's just constantly going round and can't get out.
0: Yeah, like this isn't this isn't like the cat flap at home. I don't I don't understand. Spike is now in a control room where he somehow has access to unedited master footage of the incident that took place at the oil refinery. Again, not gonna question it, we'll just go with the flow. And it has some extra unused bits from there. One clip's one clip shows Starscream unmasking himself as Prime! Andy, remember how I said earlier Starscream was one of the Seeker Jets? Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that can't work from a continuity perspective. I mean, I guess, like, given that this is all,
1: like, fake footage, like, they could have been shot at different times and spliced together. I mean, my my bigger question is, like, where's Starscream hiding his wings in the Optimus Prime outfit? Um, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Which, you know, that that is maybe my more pressing concern. That, again, to be fair, like, toy Starscream, you could just, like, take the wings off and they were removable. Maybe that's how
0: actual Starscream works as well. We, we will leave that question to to never be answered, everybody. At this moment, Ravage arrives. But back at the trial, the judge rules them as guilty, that being the Autobots. This despite Chip being one of the voices in the crowd, one of the two voices, it should be said, basically saying there's more evidence coming, but the judge will not wait. He says that their punishment is that they are banished from Earth and Prime acquiesces to this request. At an airport, spaceport, not specifically named a port, The Autobots board a ship provided by Burger because this guy is just clearly made of money, clearly, and the ship takes off with Chip crying as the ship is leaving for the stars. Now, the ship is basically bound for Cybertron, no specific destination mentioned, but it's implied it will be Cybertron that is the destination. At Autobot HQ, uh, or should I say Decepticon HQ, because now the Autobots aren't there, but whatever, Burger wants his reward, but Megatron is going to claim his reward first. He activates and uses his arm cannon to somehow reset the navigation via teletram on the Autobot ship. I don't know how. I'm just going to let that one slide, Andy. That will be added to the, to the never-to-be-answered question bucket, as it were.
1: Yeah, this... That moment for me was just, like, utterly bizarre. I'm just like, wait, what's he doing? And it's like, oh, he's kind of using his canon as, like, a sort of touch screen interface or something. Like, why can't he just, like, type on the console like everyone else when they (laughs) use Teletran? I don't know. I can
0: answer that, Andy. Is it because it looks cooler? No, because you'll recall, in a previous episode, he didn't know how to work Teletran. Well, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, you'd
1: have... (laughs) If only he just shot it with his laser cannon until things changed. In his
0: <laughs> Clearly his mistake all along. So, ne- uh, nevercon That's not his name. What the heck's nevercon? Megatron. <laughs> I'll leave that in the edit. I don't care. Megatron has now changed the destination to be The Sun, <laughs> rather than Cybertron, revealing his true colours to Mr. Burger. And the big cliffhanger of the episode is... Will the Autobot ship survive? How will it survive? Can it survive? Find out next time on The Transformers. That's the end of part one, Andy. I'm loving this story. It's being executed incredibly well. Great pacing. Some really cool twists and turns in there. And honestly, Megatron's plan, as ludicrous as some of it is, and how dumb humans are, let's call it like it is, it's executed really well.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the nice thing. I feel like, especially, again, when you have a bit more breathing room of, like, a multi-parter, it's a lot more fun because you do have, you you have to have a plan that executes well and almost comes to fruition just to, like, make the the cadence of the story work. So it's like you said earlier, there's a really good gradual, like, bit-by-bit escalation from just like ah this is gonna make the Autobots look a bit stupid and look bad to people to suddenly like you're being banished from the planet and then to you're being shot into the sun um and it's it's a really good cliffhanger that's played really well in this episode like one of the smart the things that good fiction, especially for like a long running series like this has to do, is it has to sell you on the idea that the good guys can get utterly obliterated. And I think it's something Transformers struggles with overall, because A, it never has the time to do it, and it's difficult to to raise the stakes that high, um, but like any good sort of big long running series, like you know, in the anime sphere you look at like Shonen Jump stuff, you're kind of Naruto's and Bleaches, where you know, you've got to believe in moments that like, Ichigo's gonna die in Bleach. And, like, that's a really hard thing to sell people in on because you inherently know in your brain that, well, there's another episode of this, like, tomorrow or next week or whatever. It, this isn't what's gonna happen here. Um But this is a really good moment where you have that, that kind of moment of just, like, oh, this could be it. Like, this could be the end of Transformers. Like, the Autobots... Are, how are they going to stop themselves being shot into the sun? And it, it sells you really well on the fact that they're in dire straits and there's seemingly nothing or nobody that's going to be able to, like, p- pour them out of the fire, quite literally. Um, and uh, that that's a really fun kind of moment that it gets to, to use as its cliffhanger. And, yeah, be a, a literal, again, a reminder that this this kind of, these episodes aired daily I'd be like, come back
0: tomorrow and find out. Whether all of your favourite toys are going to be melted in the sun. Th- That's actually one of the other points I wanted to mention. That, that little end stinger bit where it says come back tomorrow. It Whether it's just the way things worked out from ultimately the production point of view and when the episodes were delivered, I don't know. But it kind of surprises me they didn't leave this to be a weekend-long cliffhanger. Because you could easily have dragged this out for a couple of days and told kids, tune in Monday to see if they survive. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah I, I i wonder whether yeah is maybe just like pure happenstance that this wasn't like a friday and monday split or, mm. or, or i mean maybe it was but they didn't know it was going to be at the time or whatever they they just had to assume it'll be it'll be the next day but yeah i, I mean yeah maybe for the best that kids weren't left wondering too long but uh, <laughs> that, thankfully
0: thanks to the joys of youtube we had to wait all of like 10 seconds to load the next episode <laughs> indeed because it is now time to talk about episode 16, Megatron's Master Plan, part 2. The episode begins with a parade for the heroic Decepticons, because Andy, it's Decepticon Day! Yay! <laughs>
1: Yeah, I that that whole scene I really loved. It's just like, it's just really dumb and entertaining, like kids dressing up as Megatron and ve- very hastily organised. Just like, well, I guess we'd better have a parade for them then. And <laughs> it doesn't even seem like a thing the Decepticons would be particularly into because it's like, well, look, can we just get on with conquering the planet now? But they, they at least play along for a little bit before, uh, before they, they let the, the facade slip.
0: It's funny you mention that, actually, because Starscream was the one that questioned to Megatron, why are we doing this? Can we just take over the planet? And Megatron just simply says, I have reasons. <laughs> it's like, sure, Megatron, sure.
1: Yeah, it's like, they're, they're, they're going to they're gonna be serving Energon. I can get drunk again.
0: <laughs> Free Energon for all! <laughs> now, apparently, now I feel the need to say, we don't know how much time has passed since the end of episode one and episode two. Now, because like you say, Andy, this parade kind of feels not rushed, but it's ready to go, <laughs> to say the least. And we then cut to the TV studio where Spike is still looking through footage, leading me to think he's just been there the whole time and Ravage has just been waiting. Yeah, We've just had like yeah, a standoff yeah. for like a few days or something yeah well
1: I mean that's the thing because I mean given that the Autobots have now almost reached the sun like again if you're a science person or or a physicist that can do the maths here like I'm pretty sure it takes quite a while to reach the sun on like an a human made rocket so that would suggest that it's been like months if not years and Spike's just been sat in this tv studio (laughs) the entire time like probably found a bunch of lost episodes of Doctor Who and got distracted it's like oh the Autobots yeah I was I was supposed to be proving their innocence oops but hey look at look at look at these sick like deleted episodes of the x-files i found
0: <laughs> he has a scuffle with ravage in the tv facility and ultimately gets the one up on him by pushing a giant stack uh, a giant stack of shells with tapes on them on top of ravage we then cut to a team dance at the gymnasium andy hosted by the decepticons where we have Rumble, Ravage, and Laserbeak doing some dancing, while Soundwave is providing the tunes.
1: Yeah. Th- th- this is clearly the reason that Megatron was alluding to. <laughs> you know, just, they're having a sick party. It's gonna be great.
0: I just wanna see you see Rumble bust his moves. And there was also the wonder, the wonder moment? I can't talk today. The random moment when a random human just says to Laserbeak, Laserbeak want a cracker? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, uh,
1: I said that this was a really serious episode, didn't I? And I, I kind of, maybe, maybe I forgot
0: that there's also this, but it's, is kind of, is kind of fun. We then go into space where the Autobots are, and after some debate about how the situation ultimately unfolded and what has happened, Prime decides they should go back to Earth, but they realise that their guidance system is locked and in turn realise that they're bound for the sun! Oh no! Then Cosmos... Who? Who's Cosmos? I don't know, but he's there. Uh, A flying saucer-like Autobot, as I have written down, who isn't able to interface with Teletran either, because I'm assuming, Andy, having not done research on this admittedly either, that Cosmos and Teletran are just intrinsically linked. I don't know, but I'm just going on that assumption. Yeah, I... uh... I, I'm not sure that there's
1: any canon or science to this, really. <laughs> it's just, it's just like, oh, Cosmos is a spaceship. I guess he can do a space thing to save the Autobots, which is a really hilarious moment here because they kind of like finally look to Cosmos like you can save the day, and then he's just like, okay, I, oh no, I can't. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and the, it seems like, oh no, he's just. Failed miserably. It, it, you know, you, you're big time to shine. And I, I had the Cosmos toys as a kid and it was really cute and cool. Uh, but it's like, oh, Cosmos, it just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't really put, pull, pull it together in his
0: moment of glory. Yeah, it was just like, he goes inside the ship, starts trying to work on the computer console, and it's just like, no! <laughs> So out of interest, because I'm I'm genuinely not familiar with Cosmos. Like from your recollection, how big was the Cosmos toy in relation to like other Transformers in scale? Was it oh, quite he, a big one? He was tiny, he was one
1: of the little mini bots, he's like Bumblebee size. Oh okay. Which is, is why it's, like, kind of really weird, because, you know, the Decepticons have got Astro Train that can transform into a spaceship that can hold the entire Decepticon army, and the Autobots have just got this tiny little UFO who can't hold anything other than, like, you know, a, a glass of water inside him. And it's like, you kind of got the raw end of the space travel deal. Uh, so, yeah, he was just, like, one of the second-generation kind of, like, mini-bots, because he's literally, like, his head popped up and his legs popped down, and that was it. And he was, like, you know, about yay big for people watching the video podcast if that um so he's just a really cute little one which is weird because he's a spaceship but
0: yeah because in terms of scale the, the scale in like the actual episode when it comes to animation it was difficult to kind of grasp how big or little because one minute huge outside the spaceship then smaller inside so i wasn't sure if there was something fancy about that but we shall leave that discussion for a future point uh, at the actual Decepticon base, that being the underwater one, Burger says that he wants his three cities. I say three specifically because in the previous episode, as Andy mentioned, he had said specifically he wanted one or two, and even Megatron calls him out for being greedy. But also, Megatron... I'm not going to question how. He is patched into it some kind of video feed looking at the Autobot ship going towards the sun. It's Megatron, I'm not going to question it. And then the ship Explodes! Bye-bye, Autobots. It's over, says Megatron. And then they head to a press conference. (laughs) Sure, (laughs) because. So, this is actually a good moment for me to break the discussion for a second, because remember earlier in the podcast, I mentioned there's something relating to Transformers the movie that got me thinking. Mm -hmm. It's actually this moment. Not, Not the press conference, by the way, the ship exploding. Because so many Autobots and Decepticons in the movie are just... Often, and, like, just removed to make way for more toys, do you reckon this may have been an instance of testing the waters for what the reaction may have been like, in terms of trying to write a story where they just got rid of the Autobots? Because they basically get rid of all of them. Yeah, I don't know, cause
1: it, it feels like it's so all or nothing, like, it, it, I, I feel like this is far more just a generic kind of ploy of just, like, you know, get a really good cliffhanger like people bring people to the brink have that moment of just like oh shit are they actually doing this and then you know pull back the curtain and be like ha ah, not really um so i i i don't think they they probably had any serious aspirations to kill anybody off and given that we've already had, like, shrapnel literally being blown to bits and then put back together 20 seconds later, um, and, and, and multiple near-death experiences for Optimus Prime that have come to nothing, I think, you know, they, they're they very much in the nobody-will-die-here phase, which, uh, which yeah, they, they, they got out of that come the movie, but I think at this point there's no real interest in killing characters off.
0: Yeah, it just made me wonder, because... I don't know exactly when this episode aired, but on the credits it still says 1985, so the movie would come out the following year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why I was wondering that. So, they've headed to a press conference, that being Megatron and Burger. But in the mayor's office, Spike presents video evidence to the mayor, who acknowledges that there's now there's no way to bring the Autobots back, but he has an idea of something they can do. At the press conference, Megatron tells the earth germs great phrase that his plan to conquer the planet and to suck it dry of energy has succeeded and now the next phase will begin the the, all the press people in the room realize what's happened and megatron thanks burger for his help which instantly turns all of humanity against him oh oh no (laughs) we now begin seeing the decepticons causing carnage in a city as megatron has declared martial law and and dares anyone to oppose him. Megatron then christens this city which he is currently destroying as Megatronia (laughs) 1. With more to follow, apparently. (laughs) Megatronia 1. That's the best he could come up with.
1: Yeah, he probably had, like, a long night with, like, a pen and paper. Like, what should I call it? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> a, long I light, there, yeah. a
0: long night with pen and paper and a glass of on <laughs> Yeah, yeah, quite quite clearly. Uh, <laughs> Berger now realising what has happened st- even starts telling people as well... That, sorry, I should clarify. Berger's now kind of having, like, just a moment of realisation of, oh, I've messed up. But then also starts telling people... I saw the Autobot ship explode. We can't even get help at all. But Spike is determined, even with that news, to at least try and clear the Autobot's name, regardless of this. But as he is running towards, he's still got the tape in his hand, he's running away, probably to a TV studio or something, and he somehow trips over a tripod of a light, and then Laserbeak and Ravage, while chasing him, are able to destroy said tape. Spike, <laughs>
1: mate yeah you had what you had one job <laughs> and that was just to, to to run away and uh you know and, and do your thing and yeah you got like 10 yards and then just fell over your own feet <laughs> it's just, just I mean that that was the moment where I had to pause in because I was laughing so much because it's just like this big like the spikes big moment of you know his his big revelation and it's like oh and you, and
0: you just fell over He's gonna go and save the memory of his of his fallen comrades. No. Yeah. Uh, not, for, not for long. <laughs> we then see Burger begin attacking the Decepticons along with Spike. But Megatron tells Burger, Do you still want your reward? Burger says yes, because he's a deluded fool. And Megatron says, You shall have everything you have earned. We then see footage of slaves, that being the humans, working hard producing energon cubes in various locations. With Soundwave in particular, I've noted Andy, being a proper slave driver, like cracking the whip and whatnot. <laughs> and Burger also doing his part as as a member of the slave contingent. And everyone, also notably, really, really not liking him. He is truly alone. In outer space, at the sun we see a giant yellow object, sort of emanating from the sun, but moving away from it. And it's Cosmos! Yes, and he is towing a giant ball of Autobots. And I literally mean that, because Trailbreaker apparently was able to use his force field to protect all of the Autobots from the explosion. They want to head back to Earth, but Cosmos's guidance system, which, as mentioned earlier, is somehow bound to him by Teletran isn't allowing him to not go towards the sun. So already, this plan is not working. Oops. In the Slave Plant, Spike creates a diversion by pushing a giant trolley of Energon into Rumble, which then pushes him back into a machine to get electrocuted quite a significant amount, it has got to be said. This is to allow Chip to escape and to get back to the Autobot base to see what is up with Teletran. But he sounds an alarm in the process of trying to escape the slave camp. Thrust, one of the Seeker Jets I mentioned earlier, is tasked with retrieving Chip, but is having difficulty locating him as Chip has managed to hide himself inside the back of a lorry. The truck stops at a truck stop named... Well, actually, no, wait, Andy, Andy. Did you take note of what the truck stop's name was? I I don't think I did, no. It's a very, very significant name. I don't know if you realised. Because it's called... Stan's. Stan's truck stop. Now... I don't know where I'm going with this. I imagine there are probably some truck stops out there just called, like, Joe's Bakehouse or something. Something like that. But just Stan's? That's it? (laughs) That's it?
1: Yeah. I mean, probably... Paying tribute to some kind of Stan. I mean, I know. Maybe, maybe they were trying to, like, do Marvel a solid and, like, name-check Stanley here. Who knows? Or was it a precursor to get
0: Stan Bush to do the themes of the movie?
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe they already knew.
0: <laughs> this was the seed planted. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I digress. Chip gets out of the truck and makes haste. In Autobot HQ, he is able to get Teletran back online and comes to realise that Megatron has overrided the flight path but while he's looking into the status of Cosmos, Thrust literally barges in from above, which makes me think he came through the volcano, but I'm not going to judge Andy. Uh, That's another question we'll add to the never-ending question bucket. And he destroys Teletram. Number of days since Teletran got destroyed. (laughs) Add that to your bingo card. Chip, in in a frustration of anger and before being taken back to the slave camp, has the great line of, You pile of reject parts! great little one-liner all hope is gone everybody but ironically because teletran was destroyed the flight plan that was in that was embedded in cosmos is now gone so now the autobots can proceed back to earth and they do just that andy before we sort of get to like what is going to come next in the episode that the closing crescendo if you will anything you wanted to note about what i've been talking about
1: yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy how much Berger gets his comeuppance because I kind of, I sort of assumed, and it's sort of like it's hinted at, at some point that, you know, he's he's going to get his job as leader of the world but just be, like, basically a puppet to Megatron, but he doesn't even get that in the end. Like, Megatron's just like, nah, I'm, I'm done with you. You can just go be a slave, you know, and he literally throws him under the bus in front of the entire world of just like, yeah, that, that guy did it like thanks to thanks to him for helping you know the this evil plan come to fruition um and so it's just really fun that it's not even that you know you, you think about other sort of villainous humans in this series like dr archival like they get their comeuppance eventually but like they have their their time in the sun and they would have you know like Arkville would have got what he wanted probably, like, even if it was a twisted version of it until he kind of, like, betrayed the Decepticons, whereas, like, Burger doesn't even really get a glimpse of that. He doesn't even get a, a big moment because he's pretty much immediately thrown on the the, the trash heap with everybody else. Um, so that's kind of really enjoyable to see. Um, and it's kind of, again, the luxury of having a two-parter means it gets to take its time with, like, the Autobots coming back. Like, if this is a single episode... We would have gone straight from like, oh, no, the ship just blew up in, in, you know, flew into the sun straight back to like, aha, but no, here we are. But like this has time to kind of work through the complexities of like, well, we didn't get blown up by the sun, but we're still in a pretty bad place. Like, how do we actually get anywhere? Cosmos, why are you still so useless? Um, and then, you know, <laughs> just by sheer happenstance, you
0: know, things turn turn around for them soundwave picks up energy readings from primitive jets human jets if you will and we see all of the seekers and blitzwing take to the sky and utterly muller these human jets they have got no chance whatsoever starscream saying any further rescue attempts will result in the termination of this city a bit much starscream but sure Megatron, rejoicing on how there's literally nobody that can stop him, is cackling away when suddenly in the distance we hear some familiar sounds, like something rolling across a road. And then he hears the familiar voice of Optimus Prime, and Megatron is apoplectic, to say the least. And we get the firefight we've been waiting for. Basically, all of the Decepticons, the all of the Autobots, and it's just lasers going everywhere. It is such a cool visual to see. And Ironhide also having the wonderful line of, come on guys, let's wrap this package of Decepticon garbage. <laughs> just a great little line. This is a visual, Andy, just both of those sides are just full of the, the full complement of both sides with such a great visual.
1: Yeah, th- th- that moment in particular kind of reminded me of like, much like we talked about with season one, that the multi-parters also felt like they were very much made for home video releases and to have, like, you know, something big that people would want to kind of own um on on tape and this was a reminder that you know megatron's master plan was definitely it was definitely one of the ones that that i saw around i think i probably must have watched this on vhs because i have enough vague recollections of it beyond just like the you know autobot parade stuff which features in the end credits as well (laughs) um but like you know I, i definitely have enough memories of sort of burger etc that i'm pretty sure i watched this on cassette tape but this is a one of those that definitely feels like it was made to be something that could be packaged up onto a vhs for kids um and that 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 moment was what reminded me like as the culmination of it of just like oh yeah this is this is definitely kind of what this story is as well
0: now I think this is the first time I'm ever going to say this, Andy, on the podcast, and it, it's going to feel weird saying it, but it, this needs to be said in how I've written my note down here. The Decepticons are outnumbered. When have we ever said that before? Because there's always been so many of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm not quite sure <laughs> where, where where a bunch of them have gone. I mean, I suppose they, 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 uh, they annoyed the Insecticons again, and uh, yeah, I guess some of the others are
0: somewhere else. Who knows? There we go. But of course, as is traditional, when, when when the chips are down and he can't win, Megatron issues a retreat. The humans are freed. Hooray! And the mayor pleads for forgiveness from the Autobots to stay. Burger says that he will make amends and offers to, to disband his private army. Such a generous man, Andy. Which even Sparkplug agrees by saying that's real big of him considering that they all quit when they quote-unquote found out what a dog lunch you are <laughs> <laughs> Just fan- fantastic line chef's kiss yeah t- 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 tell us what you really think spark <laughs> the Autobots roll for home that being Autobot HQ of course as the episode and this two-parter comes to an end really really strong second episode Andy, and the end this two-parter as a whole big big thumbs up from me really enjoyable viewing
1: yeah, yeah, it, it, is, it is very good, and, yeah, like, you know, a, a lot a, a lot to take in in terms of, you know, the sort of the, the political side of it, the, the kind of, you know, justice system side of it. Like, you know, it takes on for, for a kid's cartoon, like, the actual topics it kind of delves into are actually pretty weighty in a lot of ways, um, and, you know, once you sort of look beyond just the basic Autobots versus Decepticon side of it, like, this is actually a 2 Party that really has some things to say. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, around sort of political corruption and corruption of the, the judicial system and fake news, as mentioned. Um, and it sort of rolls all of that together into a pretty interesting package. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an enjoyable one. Like I say, this is the first time I think this series really sells a kind of autobot demise plot point and just really goes for it in terms of like, now this could be it. It could be done, done and dusted. Final episode. Um, And although, you know, in your mind, you know, that's not the case, it it makes you feel it just long enough that it it pulls it off. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely a strong one. And like I say, definitely like the most serious season two has gotten thus far. Um, And it's also taught as a very important lesson that that the ladies love Soundwave because they (laughs) were really, they were really kind of clustering around him when he was there
0: spinning tunes for the, the Decepticon party. So there we go, everyone. I've got to say, actually, before properly moving on to our outro, Andy, I think this this set of four episodes, overall, really strong, like, going back over them now. As a collection of four episodes, really, really good, solid viewing, especially back-to-back like we've been watching them.
1: Yeah, yeah, it ticks a lot of boxes. Again, sort of a nice... I I wonder how much of this was, like, pre-planned in terms of, you know, like, the broadcast order, because there's... uh, the The one thing I think that has elevated season two as a whole for me thus far like having been a bit had a bit of trepidation about it is that it always feels quite varied like it always it doesn't feel like you've got a whole bunch of episodes tagged together that are kind of the same thing with a a variation on on a theme you know you get a good mix of like character spotlight episodes and more general kind of you know there's something else going on that's sort of an interesting plot point and then you get like the two parters that are a bit more, a bit more dense and have a bit more kind of to chew on. And it always feels like there's a good sort of variety of that in each batch of episodes we've watched that keeps it fresh. So, you know, even if you have something that's Maybe a bit dumb, like the gears changing gears episode, or the Atlantis stuff—that's a bit kind of out there. You also have the stuff that's a bit more grounded or a bit more traditional, or, or whatever it is. And and I think that's really that's really helps like not make any of these feel like oh god, you know, we've got to watch a bunch of these. They've always been felt
0: quite refreshing because there's always something different. Definitely, and of course, folks, we go from that. what's coming up next time because we will be tackling episodes 17 to 20 of transformers season two which andy contains the following batch of episodes episode 17 auto berserk episode 18 city of steel and then episodes 19 and 20 desertion of the dinobots Parts one and two. Another two parts are coming our way, and it's all about the Dinobots. I am excited.
1: Yeah, likewise, and uh, also very interested to see if if Auto Berserk is in any way related to the manga of the same name. I'm sure it's not <laughs> because it didn't. I don't think it even existed at that point. We're about to get extremely violent.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It'd be very different. The only 18 rated episode of Transformers. It's weird. <laughs>
0: So, folks, actually, do you know what? The other thing to note, Andy, as well with that, is we'll be talking about those episodes next year, mm-hmm. which is quite a weird thing to say in itself. We've we've almost made it to 2022. By the time you're all hearing this, it's like, this is December the 30th, if all has gone well, so you've literally got a couple of days to go now before we're in 2022. Kind of surreal to think that we're kind of this far ahead now from when the series was actually made. Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, there's, like, you know, thinking about the, the movie being set in 2005, and that being the far-flung future, at the point that that came out, you know, it was, like, you know, 20 years in the future, and now, like, 2005 was an eternity ago for us.
0: Oh my word, um,
1: I, I, I'd I forgotten about the fact the movie was set in 2005. Oh, that, yes. that's creepy. Oh, mate, so... Yeah, well yeah, and I mean, you know, you, you think we've had like the 30th and 35th anniversary editions of that film on home video and it's like if if ever there's a way to make you feel old, it's like having something you enjoy coming out on on releases with ever bigger numbers as its X anniversary. So,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a while apparently. Oh my word. So, like we said everyone, we are going to be talking about those episodes come the first week in january 2022 but before we go a quick reminder that if you want to follow us on facebook or twitter or to share some thoughts with us send us some pictures let us know you can do so at starscreams pod on both twitter and instagram you can drop us an email at starscreams Ghostpod at gmail.com and for those of you listening to the audio version specifically if you've liked what you've heard and you'd like to watch us talk about the episodes as mentioned at the top of the show every single episode of our podcast is recorded in video form so you can actually watch us discussing these as well if you so choose you can find us by searching on youtube for starscream's ghost podcast and you should find the youtube channel just fine And of course, if you want to get ready for the next podcast when it comes to watching the episodes, don't forget to head over to the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel to watch episodes 17 to 20, or for that matter, any episode of Transformers, because that is where all the episodes are. Andy, before we close out for the year, any thoughts on these episodes, or just any other thoughts in general, Transformers related, you would like to convey to everyone? Uh,
1: No, no, I think uh, it's just uh, time to say Happy New Year to people, and thank you for listening slash watching this uh, this podcast and uh, yeah like it, we will we will continue into 2022 as uh, there's still plenty of transformers left for us to watch indeed because
0: how many episodes did we say were in season two in the end i mean i noticed season three as well but um 49 yeah. i've just quickly looked at it <laughs> there are yeah, 49 so episodes overall and do you know what we haven't done badly so far for season two i'll tell you that no no i mean we're, we're
1: almost kind of at the halfway point of, of the second season so uh, yeah like we'll be we'll be there before
0: we know it i suspect there we go everybody with that being said from myself jeremy graves from him mr andy hanley you've been listening to star screams ghost a transformers podcast we will continue to roll on into 2022 thank you very much for listening and or watching and talk to you next year see you everyone bye everyone